Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The day after opening day. Welcome to the Windy City Podcast. Let me touch real briefly on the Cubs and White Sox before we get to a very special interview today. Alex Honnold coming up. One of the benefits working at Fansided outside of the incredible people that I get to work with every day and the platform is the amount of people who we get to interview from different walks of life. Alex Honnold, if you've been paying attention You probably have at least at some point come across him. He was on 60 Minutes. He's been on Jimmy Kimmel. The greatest solo climber of all time. How somebody scales up a mountain without any ropes and somehow, someway teaches themselves to handle that fear, just to do that when one wrong step, their life is over. And so many who have tried this end up dying premature deaths. Just... uh, Fascinating guy to talk to. So Alex is coming up here in a matter of moments. But And I figured I'd put it out today because it almost feels like, at least for Cubs fans right now, it might make more sense to climb a mountain than watch this team play this year. And I get it. It's only one loss. But it's the Pittsburgh Pirates. The awful Pittsburgh Pirates and the Cubs looked like the Cubs swinging and missing and going batter after batter after batter without getting the ball out of the infield and losing on opening day 5-3. to three. But I am here to remind Cub fans for just a brief moment of one thing. In 2015, they went to the NLCS. In 2016, they won the World Series. In 2017... They went to the NLCS. In 2018, they made the playoffs. In 2019, they won 84 games. Fire Joe Madden, but they won 84 games. Collapsed at the end of the year, missed the playoffs. Terrible September. And then last year, made the playoffs again. They've been making the playoffs every damn year since 2015, over half a decade. That is incredible, truly incredible. And I get that changes are coming right now, and it's disappointing they didn't win another World Series, but you got to take a step back a little bit and realize, wow, this has really been quite a period of Cubs baseball that any baseball team in all of baseball would sign up for. Now, the White Sox. Aaron Bummer, I heard him talking, I think, 
it was on the score or it doesn't matter. I heard it somewhere. And he said that I'm hoping that I have a year where, or the White Sox bullpen has a year where we do not blow a lead the whole season. Like after six with the lead, the Sox are 99-0. and, and 0. Well, 0-1 after opening night, kind of hard to believe, and maybe some bad luck too. And Albert Poulos with a little chopper to third base and the run scoring and the Sox blowing a lead on opening night. They're going to miss Eloy Jimenez. Every time I see Leury Garcia or whoever step in the box, it's painful. So I'm not saying it's going to ruin the season, but I noticed it last night. Lucas Giolito pitched well. He gives up a bullet off the bat of Shohei Otani in the sixth. He's kind of dancing around on the mound like, whew, got, got, got through that one. And here comes Tony LaRusso going to the bullpen. And when Ricky would come out there, he'd pat him on the back and be like, yeah, yo, great job, great job. Pat him on the chest, right? LaRusso, give me the baseball. Get out of here. You just hung a slider and you're done. Gonna be a little different and maybe a little bit more ruthless. Tony's got his plan. And I, what I was impressed with there, start of the inning, going through the order for the third time, Steve Stone dialing it up that this is going to be a very tough inning. They're going through it for the third time. Well, LaRusso was out in front of it, had his bullpen up. It wasn't like, oh, there's a bullet, now let me get somebody up. He was out in front and ready to go. But then Tony also, Nick Madrigal stole second base. It was clear he was safe. And Sir Tony, who has not been in the dugout for a minute now, not used to replay, did not challenge. That's not a good job. He was safe. It was obvious that's a runner in scoring position that the White Sox did not have. So E. Tony on opening night. All right, let's get to Alex Honnold. Cub fans, don't go free soloing just yet. They're only 0-1, uh, but I figured today would be a good day to bring in Alex, who we talked to last week. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Alex Honnold right now on the Windy City Podcast. Showtime. From time to time, we come across someone who can do something so remarkable that it defies belief, and in this case, seems to defy gravity. It's the story of Alex Honnold. He's a 26-year-old rock climber from Sacramento, California, but not just any rock climber. He scales walls higher than the Empire State Building, and he does it without any ropes or protection. It's a kind of climbing called free soloing, and the penalty for error is certain death. The next thing for you, the next big thing. So I'm still working on quite a few different climbing goals. Um, actually, a few things just, I live in Las Vegas, a few things around here in Red Rock, a few big, uh, you know, sort of mountain adventures. But, um, but actually, I mean, if, if anything, I mean, your introduction saying the, you know, best climber or whatever, I think if I've taken anything from the podcast that we've been working on from, from Climbing Gold, it's that we've gotten to interview so many of the best climbers over the last, you know, 30 years. And really, it shows sort of the, the breadth of the sport. I mean, a big point of starting the podcast was to explore, you know, how how wide the history of climbing is, basically, you know, because at various moments through time, there have been tons of other, you know, best climbers ever, and and they've all left impact in the sport in different ways. And so it's been really nice to chat with them and pull those stories together and, and use that to sort of show how climbing has changed shape over the years. What are you most interested in learning from other climbers? Is it the mental side, the physical side, all of it? I mean, what really gets you excited to find out? Well, I personally like to learn sort of the physical training side from other climbers, just because that's more of my personal weakness. 
but uh, but in the podcast we've been sort of exploring all aspects like we've focused quite a bit on inspiration and drive and like vision like what how some climbers see things that others haven't and and then how they act on that vision and, and wind up doing things that others thought were impossible um you know so so through the podcast we sort of explore all aspects of of, of newness and climbing you know the full richness of climbing but, uh, but I personally sort of geek out on the training side of it because I think that's what I need the most. So you want to get stronger. That's, that's one of your goals right now? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I mean, uh, just two days ago, I, uh, I totally uh, PR'd on some hangs and stuff. Is it classic, you know, when you're training, you're like, whoa, I did something that I physically have never done before. And you're like, what's different? You're like, so exciting, you know? Like, basically, it's always exciting to break in a new ground in some way. And for me, uh, it's easier to do that physically. Or it makes more sense to work on the physical side. On the mental side, how do you explain to i guess someone like myself like the approach avoid people are afraid to make a phone call they're afraid to go for the next thing and and you know and you've trained yourself that i'm gonna go for something that's really really scary but it's something that i really want like how did what, what was that process like for you it's funny that you use make a phone call as your first example because i'm still actually i really don't like cold calling people and i hate calling businesses so i make my wife pretty much do all the phone calling in the family you know it's like she, she's the one that calls people out of the blue to be like hey so we have this issue and we don't really know how to resolve it like what, what should we do and so i mean it really is just a sign that, that no matter how well practiced you are in one thing it doesn't necessarily translate to everything else you know because i'm very good at managing you know, fear and around climbing, sort of physical fear. I'm very good at, at putting myself into uncomfortable physical situations and, and you know, feeling comfortable. But, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily translate to, to cold calling somebody and, and chatting about things that you need, you know. So it's, it's not a one size fit all. I, I figured out my fear here, but that doesn't, okay, I got it. Though I do think that the tools that you learn through climbing, you can sort of apply a little bit, you know, like, if I have to, I can be like, okay, I'm going to make this call because I know I can handle it, you know, but uh, I still don't want to, you know, by nature, it's like, that's still just not, not my thing. Yeah. Just sticking to climbing as far as the, the fear part where like, cause I've heard you talk about as I'm going through, by the way, your huge success on all your YouTube videos have millions and millions of you. People are so curious about you, which the introvert part of your personality, like just, just seeing how much interest is in you, if, if that's comfortable, but more so you talked about like when I'm getting ready for a huge climb, you know, I, I go through the mental part of getting there. Like, how did you, how do you actually know? Like, okay, I'm ready. Even though there's, there's gotta be some part of you that's still thinking that maybe you're not. Totally. I mean, that is interesting how you prepare for something that's never been done before because you can kind of feel ready, but then you're like, am I ready? Because nobody's done it. So, you know, like, what are the steps required? But I think for, for free soloing, for becoming big roots without a rope, I mean, the, the obvious uh, sort of like go, no go step is sort of like this gut check. Like, does it fill you with fear? Like, if you look up at the wall and you feel sick to your stomach and you're like, oh, that like makes you feel dread on the inside, then you're probably not ready. Whereas if you look up at something and you feel almost giddy excitement, like this is going to be incredible. This is going to be so fun. I mean, kind of, I guess the, the point is when something transitions from fear to fun, then you know you're on the right track. Interesting. For something like El Cap, I mean, I wanted to climb it for 10 years, but for the first, you know, nine of those, I'd look at it and I would feel sick to my stomach and I would feel a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's very, very scary. But then by the end, it started to transition to like, this is going to be incredible you know, like this will be fun. And you, and you got there by just going up with rope and just you know, learning the path, basically. Is that how you got yourself comfortable? Yeah, yeah, mostly. Frail cap specifically. I mean, other free solos that I've done in the past, you know, sometimes I go up with less preparation, just have an adventure, see how it goes, like figure things out. But for something as difficult as El Cap, I kind of knew that I needed to have it perfectly memorized and rehearsed and, and you know, dialed in. 
so I just like put in, I mean, basically through brute force effort, you know, just go up and work on it over and over and over until it becomes almost routine and you know that you can do it. So would you could call yourself kind of a, a process guy? Like I'm comparing you to other athletes in my mind right now, Alex. Kobe Bryant would say that I'm not the most talented, like, or, or I've heard like Ray Allen, one of the greatest NBA, I'm a big basketball guy. Like, like, I didn't feel like I was a good shooter. I had to get in the gym and shoot. It was just from work. I don't think you look at yourself as like this supreme talent, whereas I think everybody else probably sees you that way. Yeah, but everybody else watches, you know, a two minute YouTube video and they're like, oh, that, you know, he must just walk up and climb rocks. That's crazy. But they missed the 25 years of, of climbing full time, you know, I mean, climbing six days a week for 25 years. I mean, that's quite a bit of effort. You know, that's putting a lot of a lot of time and energy into into a sport. It's like, obviously, uh, yeah, no, I, I think it is fair to say that I'm, I'm very much a process guy. But I think that what has made that easier for me is the fact that I love climbing and I love going out and doing it all the time. And so it makes the process easy because, you know, I'm excited to train. I'm excited to climb. It's like, you know, it's fun to go outside. Did you ever have the thought in your head, I'm going to make this a career somehow, some way I'm just going to make money doing this? Or did that just kind of develop organically and here we are? Yeah, to totally organically. I never, especially when I was young, there wasn't really a climbing industry. There was no, there's no way to make a living as a climber. And, and actually that's a big part of what we explore in the podcast is sort of that transition because I mean, the reason we even did the podcast is because the sport has changed so much over the 25 years that I've been a climber that it seems like an important time to sort of check back in and see where it's come from, where it's going and like what's happening as the sport grows. So it's an Olympic sport now. Like if you try to see the future of where you think it is going, what would you say? I mean, it's hard to say, but um, all signs seem to be pointing towards greater growth. I mean, uh, you know, COVID aside, the facilities in urban areas now is just way more popular, way more crowded, way more people getting into climbing. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, basically climbing has been taken off and going to the Olympics is certainly going to help that, I think. And so we'll just see. I mean, you know, it, presumably it's going to wind up pretty mainstream. Like people will just go climbing in cities routinely. I saw that you, you know, were instrumental with, with Emily Harrington uh, and, and her climb. She is crashing into the wall or she's bleeding. She had all team around her with you being there, I guess. But um, you know, bleeding off the wall, like, okay, I'm going to keep going. That seems like a pretty big uh, moment in time. No, no, she definitely had a few sort of unfortunate, uh, you know, incidents. I mean, it's kind of just bad luck because she took sort of a routine fall that just happened to poke her head basically, but then it just sort of gashed and bled everywhere. And it was totally, I mean, it's one of those really unlikely events that, you know, very rarely happens in climbing, but then, you know, it just happened to happen while she's you know, performing at this elite level on, on this life goal. And so obviously they just, she just bangs her head and carried on. Um, I'm sure that was not part of the plan because that's, you know, it's all pretty wild. But the, actually the big takeaway from that though is that the thing about what Emily was doing, uh, free climbing Golden Gate in a day, was that she was using a rope. So she's able to push herself much closer to the limit. So she can sort of afford to take big falls, you know, get injured, persevere, you know, she was able to push much, much closer to her physical and psychological limits because she has, you know, a, a rope there as backup. And it just basically means that it's a different kind of challenge. You know, it's like she's able to really like plumb the depths of her possibility, you know, like she can really push herself all the way to the limit. And the thing about free soloing is that you just can never really push yourself that deep because if anything happens, you die. And so, you know, the thing about me free soloing El Cap is that I had to put in way, way, way more preparation. You know, I had to spend way more time up there. I had to, you know, I've climbed El Cap over a hundred times, I think, via different routes and with ropes. And, you know, I think Emily has climbed El Cap 
you know, now a handful of times, but let's say like four or five or something. And, you know, I mean, it just shows that the, the difference in preparation required to, to take something on without a rope, you know. Have you ever been close uh, w- without ropes? We're like, oh, man, that was, I mean, I was right there, but, you know, somehow, some way, I just got myself through it. I've had a couple sort of near misses and lucky moments and things. Most of the near misses actually aren't on anything dramatic and extreme. They're on easier terrain where you break a handhold. You know, I've had a lot of times where I'm climbing, like, something in Yosemite where I pulled a really big rock off and basically started to teeter backward. And then managed to sort of shove the rock back and sort of catch my balance and like, you know, not fall off basically. But, you know, there have been a few moments like that. But um, most of the time, though, if I get into situations that I really don't feel comfortable where the, the route seems too hard or, or I've had situations where I get lost, you know, where I think I'm reading the topo correctly, the, the map, but I wind up like on the wrong part of the face and I'm like, this doesn't seem right. But so in cases like that, I typically just climb back down. It's, I mean, it's really important to be able to down climb at, at a very high level if you're a free soloist because you basically have to, be able, you have to be able to escape anything. That's super interesting because, you know, I was watching your 60 Minutes piece, which is now 10 years ago, and whoever the expert was, I forget his name, but he's like, once you get to this point, you can't come back down. But you're saying that you actually have built the skill that you can. Yeah, actually, it's funny. The 60 Minutes piece specifically, they were using John Long, this commentator, who actually is one of the people that we interview on Climbing Gold because he is a legend of, like, he was the first person to climb El Cap in a day uh, in 1975, I think. And so, you know, he was a visionary of climbing for his time, but he's also a very, let's say he's a strong storyteller. You know, he's like a very strong personality who kind of, uh, very dramatic. So he was perfect to narrate that with like, this is crazy. This is insane. But the, the route that I was following, I'm pretty sure I could have hiked to the summit and climbed back down it. You know, if I had to, like if I was compelled to, for some reason, you know, because the fact that we were filming it, I knew that I had to keep it relatively within my comfort zone, you know, it had to be something that I was like, I know that I have this under control and I can manage it up or down either way. No problem. So that's the other part too. Cause in the Nat Geo piece, your friends are so nervous and de- doing are we going to film our good buddy? And if something happens here, then we're going to have an, you know, like they just didn't want to impact your journey. And and then you have to carry the anxiety. Like, I don't want to let these people down. I don't want to let myself down. That's the challenge of filming free soloing is that nobody wants to watch it. You know, like nobody wants to be there. The camera people don't want to be there. Like I want to be there because I'm having this incredible experience, but nobody else is having a good time. Like everyone else is stressed and they're on edge. And And the challenge, I think, of filming free soloing for the filmer is that they have to be a totally neutral mirror because they can't encourage you to do something and they and they don't want their emotions to discourage you. So they have to just stay totally placid and just film whatever's happening because, you know, you don't want to be the camera guy that's like positive. Who's like, yeah, you can do it. Get some, you know, because you don't want to encourage somebody to go to their death. But at the same time, you don't want to just like start crying a little bit when the person ties their shoes because you're so scared you know, because then obviously as the climber, I would see that and be like, oh, my buddy is crying, looking at me like maybe I shouldn't be up here. Like this is stressing everybody out. So it, it's a really hard position for the camera people to be in. And, and I think that's something that that in the film Free Solo, they did an incredible job of is just staying totally neutral for two years, basically, and sort of documenting the process while keeping their own emotions in check. Because I mean, in, in the film, you know, you see a couple of times where like the camera guy can't watch or the camera guy walks away and those kinds of things. But from my perspective, like, I personally never saw that. Like, for me, they were always totally neutral. Just like, oh, how are you doing today? Yeah, beautiful day in the valley. You know, just kind of like pleasantries. If you're polite and interactive, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's a really nice day. Like, oh, I love Yosemite in the spring. But just no input as to whether or not soloing is a good idea, you know? Yeah. So I have no climbing talent whatsoever. 
if my life depended on it, that in five years or three years that you, that, and I was working with you, that could you get me to, uh, with ropes, obviously, could you get me through, I don't know about El Cap, but something is like, is that even possible for a regular person? Yeah, for sure. If you wanted to climb El Cap in three years with ropes and equipment and everything safely, for sure, with expert instruction, you could do that, no problem. Not to say that you could necessarily lead the whole thing, but if you were with somebody, like you could, you could handle it just fine. Like you could get up it. What's the biggest thing that, I, that somebody like that would have to learn? I'm assuming it's the fear part or no? It's hard to say. It totally, a lot of that is personal because some people just aren't really afraid. You know, a lot, some people just trust the equipment uh, intrinsically and they feel comfortable and they love the adventure. They love the exposure. And that's kind of where I've come from is I've always loved being in that position. So, you know, like I love looking out and seeing, you know, the, the mountains around me. But, but the thing is, for that to work, you have to fully trust the equipment. You have to know that the rope's not going to break. You have to know that your harness is safe. Like, you know, and so it typically takes some time to build up that level of trust. I'm trying to go back to like five-year-old Alex where like you're, I mean, you're climbing all over the place. Like, so is there something that, that was there that the, the normal five-year-old doesn't have and that you just wanted to keep going? Do, do you ever think about that? Like, what was it that got me started? I don't know. I mean, part of it, I think is that I do love getting on top of things probably more than the average person. Like I love getting to the top of the tree or getting on top of a play structure, like summiting thing, you know, even get just like running up to the top of the pile of dirt, you know, it's like, Oh, I love like getting on top of something. It's like, it's just fun to, you know, the view, the exposure, the air. It's like, I just love being up high, but yeah, I mean, part of it, I think is just, you know, I loved that position and then I started climbing and, and then you just sort of start down a path. You know, you just keep doing it. Cause the thing is day in and day out, I love going climbing all the time. You know, like I'll go climb this afternoon and then train this evening and I'm like, and I'm excited about it, you know, cause I didn't get to climb yesterday. So I'm like really chomping at the bit. You know, it's, I think that 25 years in, if you still have that kind of love of the sport, then, you know, obviously you're on a, on a good track, you know? So you don't anticipate stopping doing what you're doing anytime soon. No, I don't think so. I mean, the, the specifics of what I'm doing may change. Like, you know, if I have a family, maybe I'll free solo a little less, or like maybe I'll focus more on, on, you know, mountain climbing versus sport climbing, or actually more likely I'll focus more on sport climbing than mountain climbing because sport climbing is closer to home and more, more casual. But, um, but yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if like the types of climbing I do shift a little but but it's hard to imagine not climbing. Like I love going climbing. It's, it's, you know, it's all I do. Congrats on the podcast for just last one here. What do you want people to know if they're going to be checking out climbing gold? Why should they listen outside of the fact that uh, there's going to be awesome stories? What would you say? Well, honestly, I think they should listen for the awesome stories. I think that climbing gold is an incredible overview of climbing history and a glimpse at the climbing future. It's basically just timeless stories from climbing across the whole continuum. Pretty exciting. It's awesome. I, I've checked out the first two episodes. You guys allowed me a little free preview. It was, it was super enjoyable and great to talk to you, Alex. Congrats on all your success. Continue, keep on going and uh, stay safe. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again, I hope. Well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. Have a good day. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.